We are in Mark chapter three. Let me begin just reading the text that we're looking at this morning. And I want to, uh, you should be able to follow along up front. If you have your own Bibles, you can read along. Uh, Much of our text is in the ESV. And we're in this one section where you could easily read it and not pay much attention to it. It begins this way. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, which is the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, from Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard of all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him in order to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. One of the, uh, today, obviously, if you're paying attention and know your history, that today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. It was a devastating day for America as we watched the two twin towers tumble because they were hijacked by Uh, terrorists, as it were, and flown into buildings that killed thousands of individuals. As disastrous as that is, the one thing that came out of it is the acts of kindness and goodwill that people showed. There's something within all humanity, whether you're a Christian or not, that responds to tragedy and wanting to move alongside people. There was, it would probably take too long, obviously, to list the endless amounts of sacrifices and service that people uh, poured out to help those around them who were wounded and suffering. There's uh, several things that I noted just looking back on it this week. For instance, hundreds of New York City service members and citizens formed a line dubbed the Bucket Brigade to pass buckets of debris to investigators so they could search for human remains. New York City iron workers showed up to cut the fallen buildings and steel frames into manageable sizes for easier removal. Thousands of children around the country and the world wrote letters of support to the workers and the recovery effort. Following 9-11, over 250 nonprofit organizations were formed, raising over $700 million in two years to help the victims. Service members of the 69th Infantry's Army of the National Guard became a family information center to help people find their missing loved ones. And 2,250 members of the National Guard provided site security at the World Trade Center and other major locations in order to try to calm the anxiety and the fears of people and provide help where needed. The list obviously goes on and on and on with the number of people that made sacrifices and volunteered time and and tried to step into the gap where there was great tragedy. And there's something about that that helps us to forget about our quibbling over the little things of life and begin to start to value the things of ultimate importance. Because often when there's time of peace, we spend more time quibbling and fighting over each other's toys rather than trying to serve and express God's grace in unique ways. As we begin to think about those times, I want to direct your attention to this text because as simple and straightforward as it is and primarily centered on Jesus and all the attention that he's getting, I think there's some profound things for us to learn from it. And as we think through this, I want to start by looking at Jesus' popularity because it's growing exponentially. And we are told here from the text that he is doing things that is getting people's attention. And so as we begin, we notice that he's trying to withdraw. 
If you uh, spend any time in the previous text, there's a lot of controversy around Jesus, even with his own family who are struggling with him being front and center. I don't know how many of you would deal with the fact that a sibling or a relative stood up and said that they were the savior of America and that you're to follow them. That probably usually wouldn't go over very well with family. Uh, We tend to fight our own egos enough and, and sibling controversy and rivalry enough that that wouldn't fly with too many of us. But whatever the reason, Jesus is seeking to withdraw with his disciples to the sea And regardless of what kind of break Jesus wants to give to his men and his other disciples, they are being literally pursued by a mass multitude of individuals. Uh, They come from a variety of different places, and just so that you can get a context of this, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Holy Land and the different places, but uh, the Sea of Galilee is really sort of in the northern part of Israel. It is... uh, a pretty unique place because Jesus did a tremendous amount of ministry, but he has people coming from all over the country. And you can see in terms of this particular map where these individuals are coming from. It is not like America where you travel 1,500 miles to get there. Uh, At best, you have several hundred miles at best, but there's people flocking from everywhere to see Jesus. And, And when we're told in the text very clearly that this idea of flocking to Jesus is because of all that he's doing. It's interesting when you read other passages like Matthew and sort of the parallel elements that some of them will say that he's in the synagogues and teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, he is healing individuals, and it specifically says, as we'll note later, that, that, that these works that he's doing to touch people's lives is recognized as a sign which would point them to who he is. But when you read Mark's gospel, he doesn't include any of that. He doesn't include the teaching ministry. He doesn't include him being in the synagogue in this particular text. All that it does is tells us that Jesus is engaged in the the community. He's touching people's lives that have significant needs and he's drawing attention to himself. And I find it remarkable because the people that are coming, there's really four things that you note in the text that, that is attracting them. They heard all that he was doing. So not everybody is a witness, but everybody who seems to see these miracles that Jesus is doing, where he's touching human ordinary lives and doing something remarkable by healing them and obviously casting out unclean spirits, that the word is traveling everywhere. People who used to have just radical brokenness and struggling with life and disabled for whatever particular reason, Jesus is curing these people and healing them of their diseases and all the afflictions, and word is spreading everywhere. People who are crippled are now walking around and it's getting the attention of individuals who knew them their whole life or whatever period of life, and and they now are seeing such a change in these people. Now it's all first world stuff. In fact, Mark doesn't talk anything about how profound Jesus' teaching is. It doesn't talk about being in the synagogue. All he's talking about is Jesus reaching out and meeting the needs of people. And so they hear what's going on, the people are flocking to Jesus, whether it's out of curiosity or need, they are sort of hunting Jesus down. And there's droves of them. And they chase Jesus down to the point where they, they literally, the, the text talks about them crushing him, literally overwhelming them so much that as they're standing on the shore, Jesus tells his disciples, Look, you gotta get a boat ready because if we don't get off here, they're just literally gonna push us into the water is kind of the picture you get. 
And so they are pressing around him and it says literally that they want to simply touch him because they know that he has the power to make a difference in their life. Now it may sound pretty simple and most of us would go, well of course, because Jesus is Jesus. He's the son of God. He has the power to do things that we don't have the power to do, or at least that's what we usually say. And he's making such an amazing impact that people are spreading the word. By the way, it's not a bad marketing plan. Uh, we have a marketing team that we're working with to help us keep visible in terms of the community, and we're working out those details, and I appreciate all that they've done in terms of our website. I mean, most people who find us check on the website, and they're doing a great job helping us be visible. But one of the things we see here is also the, one of the aspects of, I guess you call a church marketing plan, that I think is profound is that when people are touched by the power of Christ, they become God's best marketing plan. When people who've been touched by the presence and the power of Jesus are willing to turn around and say, look what he's done for me. Now most of this seems first world because the focus is all on first world stuff. It's physical afflictions and mental afflictions and emotional tragedy and crisis going on in people's lives. And it would be easy for us to say, well, those, that's good, but that's not the real important thing. The, the real important thing is their eternal destiny, and Jesus gets there with it, you'll see. But sometimes the danger for us is, that, is kind of that old adage, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Yeah, people have physical needs, but we're not gonna worry about that because that only solves a little problem in their life, not the real big problem of their heart. But, but the issue is Jesus spends time touching people's needs, and they spread the word everywhere. And so Jesus develops this reputation and people are flocking to do it. And I, and I think it's worth noticing that the power of Jesus is literally responding to a lot of simple needs in people's lives. I mean, and I want you to notice that Jesus was engaged with the community. He didn't just hole up in a, in a synagogue and all he did was teach. He didn't just talk to the rabbis or the special group of people who had a, a special past to come and interact with them on theological issues. Jesus didn't just isolate himself with just his disciples, he was engaged in the community. And he was deeply committed to moving alongside people who were hurting, whether they in a sense believed in him or not, and he did incredible things to meet their needs. And it's worth noting that he was engaged. Jesus was also approachable. Even though he's trying to withdraw from the crowds and give his men and his disciples a break, the crowds are just relentless. They won't leave them alone. And so they, as they pursue after him, Jesus doesn't create, you know, he doesn't go out and hire a security team and say, hey, listen, block off this section, don't want anybody near me, I mean, he is going to tell the disciples to get a boat and move out, but that's just so he doesn't get overwhelmed by the number of people that are there. But he's, the, the part that we need to see is Jesus is approachable. There's people from all over the country, all different groups of individuals, and they're pursuing, and Jesus allows them to come. He doesn't set up barriers. He doesn't set up a lot of conditions. He doesn't hand out tickets, only a certain number of people can see him. He allows them to come and he's approachable. The third thing about this is that Jesus seems really generous. And what I mean by that is that he healed all kinds of people. 
There doesn't seem to be a limit to say, hey, we're gonna heal 10 people this morning and then we're done. That's all that we're gonna do. Now that may sound really simple to you, but if I was Jesus, it would, uh, being the son of God, living amongst broken human beings, I could see where that could get a little tedious. Because everyone's running around saying, I want, I want, I want, I want. I need you to fix me, I need you to heal me, I need you to cure me. And yet, we understand our brokenness to the point that we know that we need something more than ourselves. We have the ability, because we're created in the image of God, to survive and cope and manage, sort of. But you'll notice in the, in the newest statistics that young people's suicide is escalating, so we don't quite manage it as, quite, as well as we think we do. We have all kinds of increased crime and conflict within our culture, and so as much as people think that they're managing and coping with their stuff, it starts leaking out like toxic waste, and it's creating tons of collateral damage. So while we think that we can cope with these things, Jesus is generous about meeting needs of people, and he's healing. It says he had healed many people. And he's changing lives in a profound way. And so he generously allows his power to touch the people around him. And fourthly, he was willing to deal with everyone. I mean, he is approachable, but he wasn't just talk. He, he, was, he was willing to allow people to come to him as well as he going out to individuals. We often get dubious and skeptical about this. Jesus did these extraordinary things, and you're probably saying, what does that have to do with us? I mean, the fact is, he did extraordinary acts of kindness, he met needs of people, even though they're first world needs, but he had a divine purpose in it. He wasn't, uh, I don't think Jesus would subscribe to the, the motto we often throw around, let's, let's just do random acts of kindness. I mean, it, it, it sounds nice, it sounds helpful, but Jesus had an agenda. He is the Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's coming to restore Israel back to their God. And so, as you see in the other texts, when he healed people, it was recognized as a sign to point to himself that he's more than just a, a physician or a healer or a good teacher. He's the Messiah. He's the one that can restore the heart of broken men and women back to God. And so, it makes me pause for a moment to say, wouldn't it be nice as a church that we had the same kind of reputation that Jesus had? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be exciting that our engagement with the community was so generous where we were moving along meeting needs that people would actually seek us out because they know that if they come here, they're gonna be touched by the power of God in a way that changes the direction of their life. We had a meeting this last Thursday for those who wanted to come about our vision frame and we talked a little bit about that one of the key areas that we want to develop as we step forward is this whole idea of generosity and good works. The Bible speaks about it a lot. I mean, Matthew tells us that let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I'm also not necessarily a big fan of not doing everything anonymously. You know, let's go do a work, but we're not gonna tell them who it is or why we're doing it or what we represent. Let's just do it in secret and it'll make a difference. Well, it might make a difference, but Jesus said, let them see your good works, see your good works, so that then they have an opportunity to glorify God. 
See, if everything's anonymous, then they know someone did something nice from them, but our objective in doing good works and meeting needs ought to be to draw attention to the Savior. But our response at this point would be, well, okay, that's fine, Brad. That it's fine for Jesus to go around and do this because he had the power to heal people. I don't have that power. Well, we can debate that a little bit in the whole process of things. But we have Christ dwelling in us, and I think there's ways that we can move alongside people and they can be touched by the power of Christ through prayer and other things that we do. But, the, but the, some of us are really skeptical about the whole thing because we go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not sure I can do miracles. I don't think I can do anything that would make that kind of difference. And, and so I want to suggest to you that Jesus taught that his followers can do extraordinary work, good works uh, without performing a miracle. And what I mean by that is that Jesus taught that we can do extraordinary good works without us being able to do the same kind of miracle as Jesus did because we're the miracle. Because the work that Christ is doing in us is in a sense the same thing he did for other people and they became the message as they communicated what God had done for them. I mean, that was sort of the marketing plan. The word spread everywhere because they saw and experienced and were touched by the power of God and they became the message of Christ. And if we think about that a little bit, then we discover things like, for instance, Matthew chapter five. What kind of extraordinary works should be typical of God's people that would show a difference in the way they live? Matthew 5 says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, an Old Testament uh, quotation that talked about often a legal process. It was, all, it was based on the law, it would had this sense that if someone does injury to someone else, then there's a legal process to bring about justice. So he's talking from a legal framework. But he says, but Jesus said to them, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I think every one of those points we could go, uh, yeah, but. Now, obviously, there's a context to that. But the fact that Jesus said that to any of his followers would say, listen, this is kind of what I want my people. This came out of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to his followers in general. And yet it would be very easy for us to say, we're not doing any of this stuff. I mean, if somebody sues me, I'm going to sue them back. I'm not going to let them take advantage of me. And I believe that that what Jesus wants to say is some of the most extraordinary good works that come from God's people is that the way they deal with affliction, the way they deal with injustices that are done to them. Because they know they have a heavenly father who has their back and will stand in the gap and that we can intuitively trust him that hey listen, you've got this, I don't have to take revenge, I don't have to get even, I don't have to do certain things. And when God's people are willing to allow God's extraordinary work to take place in their life, then they live in extraordinary ways in, in this negative sense about not acting the way normal human broken people do, but we act the way God wants us to. And so it, it becomes an extraordinary way. 
And what he's saying is, yeah, be engaged in the community. There's risks to that because as you get engaged with the community, there's a risk that you're gonna get hurt. But if you're going to live the way I want you to live, this is kind of the, the, the posture and the attitude that I want you to have in life. I want you to be approachable by others. I don't want you to hide somewhere in a shell or in your homes or in your church so that there, you don't have any contact from the world because I get the fact that it's a scary place and there's bad people out there and I don't agree with everything that's going on out there. But Jesus wasn't afraid to engage the community. It was broken and dysfunctional and he says, listen, if someone wants to take advantage of you, that's in a sense the risk of being engaged with a lost world. But if you're generous in moving alongside people and trying to respond to their need, it becomes a powerful gateway for the gospel. And so I think, I, I think texts like this remind us that God wants his people to be engaged in the community. He wants us to be approachable by people even if we're not on the same page with them and you might even consider some evil and dangerous and other things and there's ways that you don't act foolishly but in the general scope of life, we rub shoulders with people at work and in our neighborhood. And I believe what the text is saying and what Jesus' example is, is be engaged. Be approachable. Be generous with responding to the needs of people out there because they're hurting. They're confused and helpless and feeling hopeless. Our culture is gradually tearing itself apart and disintegrating. And people desperately need some healing presence of someone that will reach out and treat them with the kind of respect that says, listen, I'll move alongside and I wanna be in this journey with you even though we know there's risk to it. And Jesus was willing to deal with all the people that came across his pathway. Wouldn't it be amazing if Oak Grove Church had a reputation that was so generous about engaging our community and reaching out and touching people in need and making time to, to, to be alongside in the difficult moments that people are having. That, they would, that they're seeking it out and they're spreading the word around that, hey, listen, if you want to be cared for and help understand God's love and grace and mercy, go hang out with those guys at Oak Grove Church. Because regardless of what we do, you and I are God's best marketing plan. That if God's really touched our lives and changed the trajectory of our heart and brought healing into our own perspective and our values and our behaviors and the dysfunction of our own life, we become his best messengers. Luke 6, verse 27, very similar text. I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do for them. And so there, it's certainly part of the approach of Jesus to have his believers, his followers, his children Act in a way that rises above the chaos and the clutter of the way our culture lives. And in that sense, I believe we do extraordinary things and good works and meet needs of people's lives 
because of the way our attitude is, because of the way we treat them, because we'll show respect to every human being, regardless if we disagree with them or not. And I believe those things make an indelible mark on the heart of broken lives and can make a difference in terms of their openness to the gospel. There are, I think, a number of things that become a huge obstacle to doing good works and meeting needs and being zealous for good works. The first one might surprise you. I think stewardship sometimes can be a huge obstacle to being zealous for good deeds. And the reason for that is that often we measure our commitment to help people based on what we would call stewardship. Is this a good use of my time? Is this a good use of my money? Is this going to help at all? Am I gonna get anything out of it? Is this going to make the difference that I think it should? Because I wanna find that out before I actually help somebody because if it's not gonna make that difference, then I don't think I wanna invest in it. And so what happens is we go, well, you know, if I help this person, I don't know if they'll appreciate it, so I don't know if I'm gonna do anything for them. Or if I help this person, I know how selfish they are. They might not thank me for what I'm doing. And so I know you want me to be zealous for good works, but I think this is going to be a waste of time and energy to, on this person because I don't think they'll appreciate it. And it goes on. I think we're skeptical because we do it and say, well, listen, I, if I'm going to take my time and help buddy, what am I going to get out of this? kind of the clarion call of our culture and often can seep into our own mindset is why would I put something into it if I'm not getting something out of it? And then we can be cynical because we just simply feel like we're wasting our time. What is it really going to make a difference if I do this one act of kindness and I do something to meet someone's need? Wonder if nothing happens. Then I've just wasted those two hours trying to help them. And the danger for us is that we are so hung up on stewardship that we forget about being generous. That we are so protective of our time that we won't engage. That we've been beat up so badly because we've made steps to try to help people and they've been met with ingratitude and indifference and neglect, so I'm not making a difference. And at the heart of what Jesus does is he doesn't get a criteria list of the people that he'll help because I know you're the ones that are going to really appreciate it. He lavishes his power into people's lives and meets their needs. And we're never told whether they turned around and became followers of Jesus or not. And so we tend to struggle with these things. But I want you to notice as you get down to the end of the text that there's an interesting scenario where it says, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, which means, obviously, there was people that were possessed or being controlled by an unclean spirit, and like you see other places in the scripture, when the, the unclean spirit in this person recognized Jesus, the person, threw the person into convulsions, they responded by often making these declarations about who Jesus was, that he's the son of God, as it happens here. And Jesus responds to this great declaration by these evil spirits, and he says, look it, and I'll put it in our lingo, shut up, don't say that about me to anybody. 
Because the problem with an unclean spirit is they're kind of questionable in terms of their reputation. They're not interested in actually helping people discover Jesus. They're at war with God. They're trying to ruin people's lives. They're trying to distract people. They're trying to cripple individuals from living life the way God wants them to live. But it's often amazing in the scriptures how the unclean spirits have such clarity about who Jesus is and every human being around him struggles. And sometimes, because we look through a glass that's dark and we have to live by faith, often we struggle at times with deep conviction about who Jesus is. We, we struggle sometimes about, is he really with me in the journey? Does he really care about me because of the struggles I'm going through? Does my life really make a difference because Christ is in it because I don't think my life is worth anything and I don't think I really make a difference and I don't think I have anything to contribute? Because we get stuck on measuring life from our perspective rather than his. And Jesus stepped into this broken world and he wasn't embarrassed or apologetic about reaching out into the community and being engaged and saying, I'm committed to demonstrating the power of who I am by meeting some of your profound needs. And so it was obviously that Jesus had an agenda that when he was doing good works and healing people and being kind and showing the generosity of God and the power of his power to heal and restore people's lives, that he was doing it so they would understand who he was. He had an agenda in doing this. He wasn't doing anonymous, random acts of kindness just for the sake of being nice. He wasn't trying to buy friendships by giving gifts. I don't know if you ever caught someone doing that. There's lots of people who are super generous, but sometimes you get the impression they're doing it to, to make friends by buying, buying them off. He's not buying people's friendships. He's not being motivated as a guilt offering to alleviate his guilt to invest just in his own disciples. God's work was not a way to earn the Father's favor. God's work is for the purpose of revealing people to Jesus. You notice in other texts you'll see his purpose. John 6, 1 and 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick in terms of healing them. It was a sign. It was meant to point to something greater, and that is Jesus. Matthew 4, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing diseases. Because Jesus was trying to not just help people have a more comfortable life, but to help them realize that their life needed a relationship with God. And of course, the text we looked at here is that the unclean spirits make this great declaration, you're the son of God. And that's what Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the scribes and the common people in Israel to recognize that he's their Messiah. He's the one that they've been looking for and hoping for and praying for. But they have to respond to him in faith. He's not just gonna walk in and fix everything because the greatest thing that needs to be fixed is their relationship with God. That's the focal point. Jesus in Matthew 10, 42 said, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
And he takes it right down to the very simple thing is that if I take a cup of water and I do it as a representative of Jesus and I do it in his name, there's a reward for something that simple, that basic. And so as we continue to think about the reality of Jesus, there's a calling for us to imitate him in the world. Not to be isolated and withdrawn from the world, but engaged in it. To be generous and moving alongside individuals in their pain and dysfunction and not condemning them, but helping them discover God's grace in it. Because in one sense, the miracle is us of what God has done in us. And we become his best messengers to attract people to Jesus, not to us. Often you'll run into Christians who are afraid to talk about anything that God has done in their life because they, they, they'll say, well, I don't want to brag. I usually go like, well, if God's done the work in you, what are you bragging about? Like, how do you get there from what God's been doing? But it's almost like we're so consumed with our own sense of identity and, and our own self-worth that we wanna, don't, don't want to talk about things because then people think I'm bragging rather than us having the kind of spiritual mindset to say, listen, there's nothing more that I want to do than tell people what difference Christ makes in my life. Now, of course, you and I both realize that if we turn our relationship with Christ into simply religion and duty, then you may not have anything to talk about because you may not feel like you're experiencing the power of God to change your heart and your values and behaviors and your choices. It's just something that I do on a week-to-week basis, but it's more of a duty. And so, you know, if you ask me what's God doing in my life, I don't know. But Jesus' purpose was to reveal that he was the Son of God in their midst, their Messiah. He's not doing random acts of kindness anonymously, he deliberately wants to draw people to himself because he knows their need is far greater than just their physical afflictions. But Jesus is doing good works and meeting needs of people at all different levels of of the country and the culture. And he's generous about doing it. And we need to learn to be a people that learn to be generous about doing good works and meeting the needs of people around us so that they begin to get a glimpse of the Savior who's changed us, is moving us to do something even as straightforward and basic as helping meet a need. Because if our goal isn't to point people to Jesus, then the problem is they're just gonna be impressed with what we can do. And I think it's always a dead end for a believer. Rena Garcia was a 24-year-old wife, mother of two preschoolers, and a full-time nanny for two other children. She is super busy, but her favorite part of the day was when she goes out to perform what she calls random acts of kindness. She and her husband, Aaron, are part of a group called Random Acts of Kindness. They call it RAC, through which Christians seek to, and then this statement says they anonymously, although they put information in there for people to know exactly who they are and what they're doing without strings attached, but to bless other people in the name of Jesus. 
They have even, uh, they at t- that time, I don't think it exists now, had started a website so that people could get ideas about how to do this. But they would do things like leave a roll of quarters at the laundromat for an individual who uh, needed to do their laundry. They would be paying for the person behind them at the drive-through, which is a popular thing to do now. Leaving a grocery gift card in somebody's mailbox, paying rent for a family in need, handing out water or sports drinks on a biking trail. They creatively try to find all kinds of ways to engage their community, to be generously trying to meet needs, and to try to draw attention to the Christ in them by doing what Jesus did, and that is touching people, doing extraordinary things because we're going to act like Jesus, not just the culture. It goes on and says, the Garcias hands out business cards that explain their motivation, information about the church, and the assurance that there are no strings attached. People were drawn to Christ, not because he stood on a mountain and preached, but because he filled their need. And as we step forward, I want to encourage you to consider the fact that we live in a world that spooks us. And it would make perfect sense for a, from a human perspective to say, you know what? I'm going to avoid people as much as I possibly can because they scare me, they're a train wreck, their needs are way beyond what I can meet. And I, 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 would cons- I want to invite you to maybe reconsider that posture, to consider the fact that Jesus was very much engaged in the community. He was approachable. He didn't just show up at the house and lock all the windows and close the garage door and never to talk to the neighbors. He was generous about trying to meet as many people's needs as possible because those those acts of kindness and good works became a sign to people of something different about who Jesus was. And he was willing to interact with anyone. And I'm fully confident that those churches in the day and age that we live who are willing to step out and engage the community that way, to be approachable, to be generous in meeting needs, to be willing to interact with anyone, even if we feel like we're over our head, are the churches that are going to thrive and grow and flourish because they're going to allow themselves to be used by God to expose people to Jesus Christ. The hard part is that most of us have our lives so busy we haven't got any margin in our life for that. And I want to encourage you, based on what Jesus did, do you have people in your life that don't understand Jesus or the faith or church, that you're making time to move alongside and figure out creative ways to encourage and meet needs? And do it as a representative of Jesus, not yourself. So that that might open the door to deeper conversations where they might discover the hope of Jesus. Because you may not be able to do a miracle, but you are the miracle if you've been touched by the presence and the power of Jesus. Father, Sometimes we buy way too much into our own rhetoric. 
our self-talk and the things that we think about have very little to do with who you say we are in Jesus and what you've called us to be and do. And Father, I pray that we would repent of a mindset and a thought life that is often self-condemning. Those temptations to buy into the idea that it's better to hide from the world than to engage it. Those thoughts that basically convince ourselves that we don't need to be willing because if God wants them saved, he can use somebody else. Those temptations that we struggle with that we feel so inadequate that we just want to hide and not engage. And I just... Father, pray that you would stir within our hearts the power of the miracle you're doing in us, that even doing extraordinary life with others to meet their needs and have an attitude of, about life that rises above both the clutter and the culture, that it'll get people's attention and opens the door for us to share the glorious hope of the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel. If you would change our heart, we will live by faith. We will live by faith because you have changed our heart. We ask for us to, you would help us to take new steps to be zealous for good works and reflect the kindness of Christ. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.